you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant. You know the deal. Still masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. Joined, as always, by Michael F. Florio and uh, got our producer, Stephen Manny. And we have, I'd say, a special guest, but you know you, you know her, you love her. She's been here plenty of times before. It's the one and only Kimmy Checks. Uh, Kimmy, first to you, how are you feeling? Uh, I was going to say on this Monday, but it's Tuesday. How are you feeling on this Tuesday right now? I'm amazing because the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl two years in a row. I think Florida is a really good spot for us. Uh, we dominated in Miami last year. I think we're going to dominate Tom Brady at home in Tampa this year. So I'm feeling good, as always. I feel like every time I go on here, I try to rep something Kansas City. So it's a lovely <laughs> Tuesday because we have Patrick Mahomes. So. All right. Uh, so, I mean, Florio, I know you were on the other side of that, unfortunately. Although I know you said last week you felt like the, the Bills were playing with house money. So uh, now that you have a little bit of distance from what happened on Sunday, how are you feeling about, about how the season went down? Yeah, I know I said that all week, Marcus, but when the game starts and the Bills go up nine zip, I'm uh, I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit different. And, and I was really sitting there like it it would be so fitting if the Bills make the Super Bowl and the only thing in their way is Tom Brady because it, it would just be the last two decades over again. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. I, I would have loved the Chiefs to allow the Bills to have that one because we did give them Patrick Mahomes. Um, but it just feels like the Bills are, are close. Patrick Mahomes kind of spoiled people getting there in year two, but – it feels like it's going to be one of those things that the Bills can ever get over that hump that is the Chiefs. Maybe they can win a Super Bowl. I would think for Bills fans, I mean, look, obviously there, there's reason to be optimistic. Things look great. But the frustrating part is, though, uh, you have a, a quarterback in your division who's young and isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, for all the great stuff Josh Allen and that team could potentially accomplish um, – you know, I mean, it's 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 you know whatever. Pick your NBA analogy, right? It's Charles Barkley never getting past Michael Jordan. It's you know, it's James Harden not being able to get past Steph Curry. Whatever. Um, there's that. So yeah, one of my friends compared this Chiefs team to the old Warriors team with KD and Steph. How they can go from being down 15 to up 15 in like a blink <laughs> of an eye. That was fun. I will tell you, as a Warriors fan watching it, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um. Before we get to our exit interviews, because we're going to continue with those as we get through teams uh, 21 through 24. Actually, no, I think we're going, uh, no, I am, 21 to 24. I did it right. Um, no, maybe I didn't do it right. Whatever. We have four more teams. That's the whole point. Um, but before we do any of that, I want to get our producer Steve in here, because every week we kind of we do the chronicles of the Detroit Lions with Steve. Um, and the latest big news with the Lions is that Matthew Stafford and the team have decided after all these years to finally part ways. And you said uh, you said you have a prepared statement uh, about what this means. This is absolutely the end of an era in uh, in Detroit. I'm curious what you think that, that this means or how you're feeling about it. Yeah, it hasn't just been a wild week for Matt Stafford, really just the Lions in general. And there's a lot, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, a lot to go over. Um, I think for the Lions, it's actually we're going to be okay. And I'll, I'll explain why. I actually prepared um, a poem of sorts for the Lions. <laughs> 
Um, and, and bear with me, it was written in about eight minutes before this podcast. Okay. Uh, but I think it can really summarize uh, how Lions fans feel. Um, it's entitled, Get Lost, Matt Stafford. <laughs> Bear with me here. Get lost, Matt Stafford, and take your franchise records with you. We like draft picks here in Detroit and have progress we must review. The tanking process started years ago. That's why we sacked Jim Caldwell. There's not enough losing with a level head. We need to get to football hell. Matt Patricia didn't win, perhaps because he was a brainiac. Now we have Dan Campbell, a regular knee-biting maniac. <laughs> Forget the local hero. Who needs a winner like Robert Sala? Defenses for weenies, and his interview was Trey Mall. Uh, <laughs> Lynn has been the crew. He's like the team's seventh running back coach. We'll just outsmart the league with that eight-headed back approach. So get lost, Matt Stafford. We really do not need you. We'll find a new QB to give fans hope before we give this whole story another redo. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I was really hoping you had some knee, some knee jokes in there. That was uh, that was impressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and you are very much right now. You're the meme of uh, of the guy who's crying but has the happy face mask on. <laughs> like that. Because <laughs> uh, look, I look, I get it, man. Matt Stafford gave you guys a lot for a lot of years, and and unfortunately just could never get over the hump. So I, I'm sure. Uh, that the city of Detroit and the Lion fan base is uh, is definitely in mourning. I understand it. Um, it. It's a cyclical process, and we're just back at the start of the circle. And uh, I, I hope maybe the, the peak is a little higher this time around. But uh, you also have a guy who might potentially be a certified maniac as your head coach. So, um, you know, you got that you got that going for you right yep, now. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you think about it, he's not that far off from Jim uh, – not from Jim Caldwell, from Matt Patricia – in that sense, really, really an intense personality. And the locker room didn't respond that well to that. Uh, so we'll so see. I, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. We'll see how so, it goes. So why not double down? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. That that actually is, uh, that was pretty great. Um, that was, I, I don't know what to say about it, and that was, that was pretty great. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I got my numbers right. We are picks 25 through 28. We're almost near the end here. Uh, I can do math. So this is our seventh uh, exit interview session. Seven times four, it's twenty-eight. I can do this. Um, so let's start at number twenty-five. It would normally belong. That pick would normally belong to the Rams, but uh, because of the trade, the trade that brought Jalen Ramsey to Los Angeles, that pick now belongs to the Jaguars. Nonetheless, we've already talked about the Jaguars. So let's talk about your Los Angeles Rams. They were ten and six this year, um, and. You know, so Kimmy, I know you you have it. This is your first one of these with us. I always like to do something that's good, something that needs to improve, and then just kind of a general question. And I'm really trying to think of what was good. I guess Robert Woods, and I'm just going to be a USC homer and be like, Robert Woods was really good this year. Um, beyond that, Kimmy, I don't know if there's anything that you saw fantasy-wise from this Rams team that stood out for you in 2020. Um, I think if you look at kind of the latter half of the season, the thing that was really confusing for all of us in fantasy football regarding the Rams was the run game. Because of that crowded backfield, we saw Malcolm Brown, we saw Kim Akers, we saw Daryl Henderson, and there really wasn't any type of direction on who that lead back was going to be. At the latter half of the season, we saw that it was Cam Akers. So I think in fantasy football next year, I know a lot of people are like, oh, did he reach a ceiling? Was just was this just his one you know, breakout season? I don't think that's the case. I think Sean McVay is going to have trust in him to really be the lead back going forward in 2021. 
like you said, you thought that Bobby Trees was great. You had your USC homer pick on you. But I also hope that the that the passing game improves, right? We need to see more of Cooper Cup. We need to see more of Tyler Higry and Gerald Everett. And we also need Jared Goff to make those connections with his pass catchers a lot better. So I think there were some shiny bright spots like Cam Akers and the run game that can improve. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be some offseason headaches and, and some things that the Rams really need to address. I mean, Florio, obviously I know that you were a fan of Cam Akers. Um, it, it took a while for him to get going, but at some point it looked like he's ready to be that lead back there in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think so. And to me, the biggest indicator of that is when the games matter most in the playoffs, he played 82% of the snaps. So that right there, it shows that Sean McVay was willing to trust the rookie. And and it took longer than we had hoped. Uh, Marcus, we, we always joked that he ran behind the battle line, so he was just going to come in there <laughs> and run because the Rams didn't have the best O-line. Took a little bit longer than that. He was banged up, missed some time, was in and out of the lineup. But like Kimmy said, in the second half of the year and in the playoffs, he was the guy here. And I'm really excited for Cam Akers heading into next year because I think he has kind of shed the Malcolm Browns and the Daryl Henderson there, and, and it's going to be his backfield. And I think he's going to be an early fantasy pick next year. I think he is too. I, I do. I think – because there are a lot of people that were excited. The Cam Akers hive, uh, you know, they, they came out and started buzzing every time he did something when you got to the middle part of the season and beyond. Um, and so maybe maybe we can officially retire his full given name, which is Cam Akers, who ran behind a bad line and offense, a bad offensive line at Florida State. Um I don't know if we can get rid of that officially or not, but maybe. Uh, the one thing I will say about Cam Akers, and it's not even about him, I I wonder whether or not uh, Sean McVay will ever go back to the workhorse running back again. And, and you know, I, I can see a situation where Akers is for sure the lead back, uh, and he gets most of the snaps and touches. But I don't think we'll ever see a Sean McVay offense go back to a situation like they had with Todd Gurley, where they're just going to load a guy up with 300 and, you know, 320 touches, I just don't see that being in the cards. So I think when we get to next year in the draft, I think we just have to sort of take that into account that I, I could see Akers maybe getting 250, 275 touches, but I think getting over three uh, might be a little bit difficult for him. So we, we talk about the things that kind of didn't go well. And Kimmy, I think you sort of touched on this. And and so I'll, I guess when I ask this question, I'll start with you then. Um Jared Goff, uh, is he – I feel like he's sort of Schrodinger's fantasy quarterback. He's either good or not good, right? Like a couple years ago, this was a guy who was a top 10 quarterback who we thought, okay, well, maybe he's figured some things out. The last couple years have not been particularly great. Is he a good fantasy quarterback? If you are in a 12-team league and, and you decide to wait on a quarterback, would you consider Jared Goff anywhere? You know, I don't think so. Uh, and and I, I always hate I always hate having these conversations because I have the utmost respect for every single player in the NFL, and especially in fantasy football. Here we are critiquing their game on a week-to-week basis because we want to win our championship leagues, right? That that's that's what fantasy is. So let me preface it by saying I think Jared Goff is lovely. He's an incredible quarterback. I can never do a fraction of the things that he does on the football <laughs> field. However, in terms of fantasy football, if I look ahead to 2021, even with Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup and those pass catchers, I still think he's just a streaming quarterback. We saw what happened at the quarterback position this year. A lot of incredible guys who finished within the top 10, top 15 in fantasy were out there on the waiver wire. So I think I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm probably going to wait and not try to pick up a guy like Jared Goff, but instead see if a younger guy is out there uh, and could be just as productive. 
you should you should preface it with the uh, the the Adam Rank phrase of Jared Goff is not good at football relative to his peers in the National Football League. I think that's just kind of I think that's sort of that's the, way. the safe spot. That's the right. same thing. Okay. That, that's kind of that's that's the that's the the sweet spot there. Uh, I mean, Florida, do you agree with that assessment? Uh, are, are you are you maybe targeting uh, Jared Goff late in drafts next year? Yeah, I'll start off by saying I cannot do any of the stuff that Jared Goff could do on a football <laughs> field, but there is a 0% chance that I would have leagues where Jared Goff is my starting quarterback heading into next season. First of all, he gives you nothing with his legs, and that to me is the biggest thing I want out of my fantasy quarterback. If you can run even just like 300 yards, it's such an advantage. It's 30 free fantasy points right there. So, And then you get the rushing touchdowns and stuff, so you take that away. Uh, the fact that even with all these great pass catchers that he had here, the Rams were still a heavy top five run first team in, in football last year, which is the opposite of what they were a few years ago when Jared Goff was really playing well. I mean, let's not forget, this guy almost went touchdown for touchdown with Patrick Mahomes on Monday Night Football once, and now this past year, he, that guy, I mean, it looked like he was gone, and we're hearing McVay isn't too happy with him. The O-line hasn't been the same since that season. So for me, Goff is more of a streaming quarterback that if he's on the waiver wire with a good matchup maybe, but I will not draft him to be my starting quarterback. You talk about quarterbacks who can run and how important they are. I'm looking here at the the top 10 fantasy quarterbacks from this past year. Only two guys had fewer than 230 rushing yards. They were... Aaron Rodgers at 149, who made up for it by throwing 48 touchdowns and five interceptions. Uh, the other was Tom Brady, who had 40 touchdown passes, despite just a whopping six, one, two, three, four, five, six rushing yards <laughs> all season long. Um, so yeah, if you're not if you're not going to run the football, you've got to be pretty spectacular in other areas. Uh, and I don't know that Jared Goff rises to the level of spectacular uh, in some of those other areas. All right. Uh, so that takes us to pick number 26, which is your Cleveland Browns. And it's been a long time since we talked about the Browns picking this late in the first round of a draft. Um, I mean, look, in terms of being a Browns fan, it was a great year, right? You finished 11 and five. And even though you didn't win the division, you get a win over the Steelers in the playoffs. I mean, it really is everything you could have asked for. Even uh, gave the Chiefs a really tough time the following week. So if you're a Browns fan, everything is positive. For us who don't have a rooting interest in the Browns and we just are greedy and want fantasy points, uh, what about this year, Florio, really made you sit up and take notice? Uh, their run game. Like, Nick Chubb is awesome, and then Kareem Hunt behind him, backing him up, is they are, I believe, the best one-two combination in the National Football League. The only thing is... I'd sit here and I think like how great could they be if they were apart from one another? Like if Nick Chubb was able to catch passes because Kareem Hunt wasn't coming in and taking all the receptions away, he would be an easy top five fantasy running back. But even with that, I think that Nick Chubb is still a uh, closer to a low end, but still an RB one. And then you have Kareem Hunt, who in my opinion is a very, very solid RB two. And if anything happens to Nick Chubb, he is an RB one then. And we saw that this past season. I mean, these guys finished back-to-back, right? They finished, you know, Kareem Hunt 10, Chubb 11. Probably would have been flip-flopped if Chubb had stayed healthy. Obviously, he missed some time during the middle of the season with injury. Um, They're both incredibly productive, but you're right. I would like to see them separated maybe a little bit. I mean, Chubb was so great last year, I guess two years ago now, uh, when he was catching the football. And we saw, like, you know, middle last season – 
uh, that 2019 season when when Hunt came off suspension, he took a lot of those targets and really sort of limited uh, the production for uh, for for Nick Chubb in, in the back part of the season. Now, if they could look, we saw we saw what Cream Hunt did as a rookie in Kansas City in those couple of years with the Chiefs. How great he was! I mean, Kimmy, you know that firsthand. You you watched it uh, and saw how good he was. So it would be sort of nice to see them maybe you know go their separate ways again. This isn't about me asking what's best for the Browns. This is about me asking what's best for me uh, and my fantasy team. So let's just keep it 100 on that one. Um, so that was good. I mean, Kimmy, when you look there, the passing game was was up and down. Baker Mayfield was good at times, not so good at other times. Is there anything there that, that you would like to see get better for 2021? You know, you have to, obviously we can talk about their run game and that's what the Cleveland Browns and that Kevin Stefanski offense is run around, right? It's Nick Chubb and it's Kareem Hunt. However, you have a Heisman winning first round draft pick in Baker Mayfield. And then you've also bought in these star receivers like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. had to miss the rest of the season because of that nasty injury. But if you look ahead to 2021, what does that mean for him in fantasy football? Does that mean his draft stock is going to go up because they did make it all the way into the playoffs, having one of their best years in, what, 20, 30 years? I'm not a Browns fan, so I don't know the exact (laughs) amount. But... I think that's I think that's the thing that they really need to target and make improvements on. Like you said, Baker Mayfield had some down games, but then he also had games where he was competitive with Patrick Mahomes and with the Chiefs, right? So if we look ahead to 2021 and see the improvements that this Brown team needs to make, I think it's imperative that Baker Mayfield really sits down with Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and the rest of those pass catchers, and they make a cohesive plan so they can be a dual-threat football team, not only in the run game, but the passing game as well. I think some of it has to do with how they're calling plays. I mean, one of the things that we have seen over the past couple of years is that Mayfield is so much more effective when the Browns are running play action. And I feel like at times they sort of get away from that. And I think that's when you see Baker have his struggles. But when they're running play action, when they're getting him out of the pocket and sort of moving him around, I think is when he's at his, that those are the days he wakes up feeling dangerous. Right. And I think if we can get more of those days, then suddenly I think we're, we're all in because, Two years ago, we were talking about Baker Mayfield as potentially being a top five fantasy quarterback. And then he had what was probably his worst season so far. Uh, Last year, I think there were some people that were sort of cautiously thinking maybe it could happen. I know Adam Rank uh, was definitely of the mind that, look, he could be a late round sleeper. It could really blossom into something. Uh, I will admit that he sort of pulled me onto that train with him a little bit last year. And Baker is fine. Um, I don't think he was a train wreck. He, He was just okay. Um, but I think if they do want to get that sort of number one overall pick potential out of him, I think some of it has to do with them leaning on that play action game and getting him out of the pocket and sort of moving him around. They do have weapons, right? I mean, look, we 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 know what Jarvis Landry can be. We we have seen what Austin Hooper at his best can be. We talk about Hunt and Chubb catching the ball out of the backfield. So with all that said, Florio, OBJ is going to be back next year, presumably healthy. What do we do with him? Where are we Where are we evaluating him? Where are we targeting him in drafts next year? I would be comfortable with him as of today in the fifth or sixth round because, I mean, how many years are we going to hype this guy up to say, well, look at his physical talent and everything he can do. I'm going to keep pushing him up the board. And then it's just it, ha- it doesn't really happen. So I-, I think in the fifth or sixth round coming off of an injury, you give yourself uh, that ability where he can still – 
you know, improve upon what the, the price that you're paying on draft day. Whereas if he starts to climb and then you're paying for his upside, that I'm not so much a fan of. So I think right now the fifth or sixth round, because then you still could get, you know, some positive return on that investment. You down with that, Kimmy? Fifth, fifth sixth round for OBJ? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to think that, but I think people see Odell Beckham Jr.'s name on their draft boards and they overhype him and they pick him early just because. I have been burned by Odell Beckham Jr. I said that all last season (laughs) long. He has those incredible games, but then he also lets me down when I need him most, so I think I officially broke up with him in 2020. But I think his name carries a lot of value and people get trigger happy. And the second they see his name and they think it's, what, the third, fourth round, they just go ahead and put him in. So I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth if you're smart, but I don't think that's going to be the case for a lot of people. I think his ADP is going to be a lot higher than that. I think he's going to be another one of those guys. And, and maybe I should be making a list, like keeping track of a list. He'll be another one of those fantasy Rorschach tests, right? Where you look at the ink blots and you will see whatever it is you want to see. And for those people who are um, who, who love Odell Beckham Jr. and who think about his ceiling, they might be willing to kind of take that reach and get him in the fifth round for those folks who maybe are like you, Kimmy, who have been burned or who just don't like him for, you know, I don't know, pick your reason. Um, they're going to say that, you know what, he's been hurt. Uh, he, he's underperformed and they're going to let him fall. So I think he's going to be one of those interesting pieces to talk about in the offseason. Um, and, and I don't know that we're going to come to a real true consensus on OBJ. And it's, you know, it'll at least be something interesting to talk about for the next, you know, five or six months or something like that. Um, all right. So that moves us to pick number 27. And that is the Baltimore Ravens. So I guess we're sort of staying in the division there with the Baltimore Ravens. They were 11 and five and they had some ups and downs. They had some lulls this season. I, I would say that what was good for them is what is always good for them. It's the running game. Uh, although, Florio, I'm going to start with you. I mean, the, the running game was good, but it was also frustrating as anything because we could never really hang our hat on one guy, at least, you know, one guy not named Lamar Jackson. We couldn't hang our hat on one running back all season long because that's just the way they operate. Yeah, it was beyond frustrating, especially because you look at 2019 and you see that, all right, yeah, they did have Gus Edwards and they got him involved, but Mark Ingram was the lead back there and he was an RB1 because running alongside Lamar Jackson, who, just to give him credit, in NFL history coming into the 2019 season, one quarterback had ever rushed for a 1,000 yards. It was Michael Vick. Lamar's done it two years in a row now, so he is just a an absolute freak. Um, but the because he runs so much, you don't really get the high passing game numbers. So at least the good thing was we were getting running back usage out of him. But this past year, with it being all three of them, that was just not the case until late in the year where they finally realized that Mark Ingram is on Team Washed and they started uh, sending <laughs> no, him out. And then, <laughs> and then Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins were fantasy relevant, which is what I'm hoping for next year. I, I It hurts my soul to hear that because I, I – I'm not saying you're wrong. It just I came into the season thinking that there was one more good year left for Mark Ingram, uh, and that I guess it just wasn't the case. Um, all right, so Kimmy, if we have to accept that Mark Ingram is on Team Washed, <laughs> does this mean does this mean we're all we're all in on on J.K. Dobbins next year? Ah, uh, yeah, I would I would have to say so because, like Floria pointed out, uh, if you look back to what was that the 2019 season. Mark Ingram was that dude alongside Lamar Jackson. Now with Mark Ingram out of the picture, no longer being a Baltimore Raven, it's going to be J.K. Dobbins. I can still see Gus Edwards getting some usage, but you know, I think Dobbins is going to have RB1-like numbers because of that upside uh, that comes alongside playing with Lamar Jackson. 
I cannot believe you guys called him Team Watt. You know what I think is going to happen? Bold prediction. Let's like mark this down. I'm going to write this down in my calendar so that okay. I can revisit this and we can find this recording. Mark Ingram is going to go get signed by another NFL team and watch him be fantasy relevant yet again and have RB1 numbers. I'm here Not for it. Crazy. I, I'm rooting for it. I swear it's going to happen. I don't know exactly what team is going to pick him up, but he's going to get picked up. And then, Florio, you're going to have to eat your words because you called him washed. <laughs> I would. I like Mark Ingram, but this was a bad – I mean, I guess if you look at it from if a Team Wash standpoint, it was a good year for adding running backs because I feel like Ingram, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, they all they all got added to that team. I'm going to make a note. Like, I'm going to – I'm so now I have two things I need to – I need to get my fantasy Rorschach tests. I'm writing this down right now. My fantasy Rorschach tests and uh, Team Washed. So, like, <laughs> you know, guys, guys maybe to avoid because they're going to be on Team Washed uh next year so um all right uh it, it's definitely too soon to say that marquise brown is washed but um <laughs> when when your nickname is hollywood and at some point during the season people are referring to you as van eyes things aren't necessarily going well um, but he did turn it around late in the season some of it was the way they used him they had him sort of running things other than just you know go routes the whole time and trying to hit him on deep shots um, so Florio, are we buying the late season, late season surge for Marquise Brown, or, or is this just kind of a, a circumstance thing? I'll, I'll start off by saying I was huge on the Marquise Brown hype train heading into the 2020 season. Cause I thought the 2019 season was a wash for him. He came into the year at the combine. He had a, a foot injury and, and basically he had a plate put into his foot at the end of the college football season it was scheduled to be taken out at the start of the NFL season, and he said, I'm going to play my first year through it. Said it really, really slowed him down and hampered him. So I thought a finally healthy Marquise Brown, the sky was the limit with him and that running game there that you have to put all that attention to. He's just going to burn people one-on-one. And then the first half of the season was the Hollywood-Florida part of the season. <laughs> and the second half was the Hollywood-California part. And I am buying into that second part of the season because – they finally started to throw him the ball more. They got him more involved. And I like that it was a little bit more creativity getting him the ball. It wasn't just, all right, streak down the sideline and we'll have Lamar throw it up to you. Because they were doing solely that in the beginning of the year and Lamar just wasn't connecting on those deep balls. It wasn't like he wasn't getting open or creating separation or anything. I think that what we saw in the second half was the start of the breakout for Marquise Brown that we were anticipating at the beginning of the year. It just took a little bit longer to, to get started. So then, Kimmy, do you think we're going to le- at least get Silver Lake Brown? You know, if not, if not full Hollywood, we'll give him like, you know, hipster you guys, Silver Lake. 2020 has changed you the shade today. Florida is like <laughs> the nicest guy in the world. By the way, the fact that he called Mark Ingram Watts and he just said Hollywood Brown was on a Hollywood Florida type thing. I didn't even, I didn't even know this existed. Um, but, okay, I don't even remember the question. Oh, uh, do I believe in Hollywood Brown? Is that what you're asking? Yes, do I, do I think this is real. Right. I don't know, because like Florio said, there was a lot of a lot of hype with him heading into this 2020 season. He finally got healthy regarding that ankle injury. He put on, what, like 20 pounds or like the COVID-19 of pure muscle. <laughs> he was ready to play NFL football. And then he had a few decent weeks in, I don't, I don't know, the first five weeks of the season. I think he had double-digit fantasy points in three of those first five games. Then he went on a complete lull. And then weeks 12 through 15, finally we saw a resurgence of those double-digit fantasy points and three consecutive games with a receiving touchdown. All of that to say, I don't know if I'm buying in yet. Because how this is like the same with OBJ and so many incredible receivers. 
there's all this hype. You see these flashes of upside, and then there's this huge lull. So no, I I, I don't know. I don't want to be shady because I don't want to be like you guys today. I'm I'm really you know 2021, <laughs> positivity, all that yada yada. yada. Some shade. I know, I know, I know, I know. I can't, I can't. I'm, I'm improving, but. I think I am throwing some shade at Hollywood Brown, but maybe this will hype him up and you guys can thank me later because he watches this podcast and he's going to be really upset and then ball out. Think of it as not as shade, but uh, as a motivational technique. You know, that's that's what it is, right? Uh, But I think it's interesting that you said said Odell because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, right, if I'm sitting there in the fifth round, in the sixth round, maybe I feel better about it. I just, I tend to be kind of a skeptic, right? Like, I've missed out on guys occasionally because I just am not sure if they can sort of do it again. Cause I look at this offense and they still want to be run heavy next year. I also do think, uh, I think Mark Andrews sort of bounces back from what was kind of a rough year for him at times. I don't think he was as productive as we wanted him to be. Uh, I think he had a lot of drops. He had drops in some big Island games. And I think Florio, you and I might've talked about this early in the season that, um, he had some drops. I think there was a, a Monday night game or a Sunday night game where he dropped a, a number of passes and everybody was like, oh, no, what's wrong with Mark Andrews? And I was sort of like, well, if he had done this like on a Sunday morning when there were like six other games, like we wouldn't have noticed it as much. But this was the only game on and we're watching it. And so we all sort of, you know, overreact a little bit. But I just I think that there is at least a little bit of a ceiling on Marquise Brown. I think at best he's, you know. I think it, pie in the sky, he's a low-end wide receiver one, but I think more realistically, he's probably a wide receiver too, simply because I think the constraints of the of the offense that they run in Baltimore is going to sort of, you know, kind of keep him back a little bit. But, um, you know, if it means we can we can stop with the uh, North Hollywood jokes or something like that, then, uh, you know, it's all for the better. All for the better next year. Um, our last team... Uh, that we've got in this round of exit interviews. Number 28, and maybe in a lot of ways the most intriguing uh, is the New Orleans Saints. They were 12-4, and four, um, obviously a, a frustrating loss for them in the playoffs to the Buccaneers at home. And look, I, I know we don't want to do the what's good, what's not, what's not good, but I feel like this whole conversation is really going to revolve around the quarterback spot. Um, as we sit here and record this podcast right now, Drew Brees has not officially said if he's going to retire. That is the the heavy speculation that he has played his last game in the NFL after a long, illustrious, soon-to-be Hall of Fame career. Um, But, I mean, Kimmy, how how much does it worry you? Because Florian and I have talked about this, so I want to get your thoughts on this. How much does this worry you for guys like Alvin Kamara, for instance, uh, if there is no Drew Brees in 2021? Well, if there's no Drew Brees, but there is a Taysom Hill, then we have to be worried because we see what happened when Taysom Hill was the starting quarterback when Drew Brees was out with those rib injuries uh, in this 2020 season. Alvin Kamara, like, because I was in my head thinking, okay, Marcus is going to ask me what was good for the Saints in 2020. Alvin Kamara was the shiny star for the Saints, (laughs) not only because what he did in the run game, but because also what he did in the passing game, because Michael Thomas missed substantial amount of time this season. Alvin Kamara was Drew Brees' guy, both through the air and on the run game itself, right? That's not the case with Taysom Hill. Obviously, we don't know exactly who's going to be the starting quarterback if Drew Brees is to retire. However, we do know that Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill, so all of our spidey senses start to go off to say maybe Taysom Hill is that guy. If Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback, and we we even had this conversation right before the the fantasy season ended, Marcus, 
Does that make Alvin Kamara drop out of the first round? I don't think it does, but I think he drops out of the top five. I think if, if Taysom Hill's the quarterback, um, then we're looking at Kamara. I would put him somewhere eight to ten, um, something like that, because I just think the, the talent is too much. And I still think the opportunity is going to be there. But that touchdown upside comes down. I think, you know, if it is Taysom Hill, those targets come down significantly. Um, but I still think he does have RB1 potential. But I'm not I'm not paying a top five overall draft price to get Alvin Kamara. Um, so then with that said, uh, you know, look, Florida, maybe it is Taysom Hill. The, the Saints are sort of looking at salary cap hell, right? They, they've got a lot of money spent. They don't have a whole lot of room to wiggle. They even gave Taysom Hill a huge contract that I don't know that they can duplicate because of their financial situation. Um, so if we're going pie in the sky, though, right, let's just say money's not an object and the Saints can do whatever they want. Uh, who do you want as quarterback? Is it is it Taysom? Is it, is it is it is it, it Jameis? Uh, is it, is it, do they maybe make a play for Matt Stafford? I mean, who, who fits this offense for them? So I know Kimmy ate a W once earlier this year and she might have to again. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause I think Jameis, right? Like he would be so much fun. And, and it's funny. Cause the two, while you were asking the question, the two names that popped in my head were Jameis and Matt Stafford. Oh. I even think Ryan Fitzpatrick would kind of be like the poor man there <laughs> that could get it done because I just want a quarterback that I know is going to air the ball out, is going to throw it a bunch to Alvin Kamara, that is going to throw it a bunch to Michael Thomas and kind of get tunnel vision on his top fantasy options. And that is what Drew Brees has done for so long with the offense running through those two players. And that's what I think Winston would do, Fitzy would do, Stafford. So, But with Taysom Hill, then it, it would be the exact opposite. He'll throw maybe, what, 200, 250 yards a game and just run the ball the whole time. He's going to vulture those rushing touchdowns away from Alvin Kamara. So to me, like, it's night and day between which quarterback we get. And I personally think it will be Taysom Hill because Sean Payton has just shown us so much throughout the years that he believes in this guy and wants to get him uh, every opportunity to succeed in the NFL. So I think he's going to give him the first opportunity, but hopefully they have Winston as a backup or one of those players who can throw the ball really well, because I think that obviously for fantasy would be the best case scenario. Wait, can we also, not to interrupt you, Marcus, can we also talk about the fact why did they not let Jameis Winston play more football? Like there were so <laughs> many opportunities where it's like, put Jameis Winston in. And it, it wasn't it, it. There was like the meme where he's standing on the sideline with his Microsoft surface pro sponsor <laughs> of the NFL. And it was like, he looked up and he, I don't even remember what the play was or, or why he made that face, but that would be the face that I would have all season long. If I was Jameis, how do I go from being a starting quarterback Understanding that I threw a lot of interceptions, but I had to get my eyes dilated. I, you know, I figured it all out. But how do you put me in, in that offense, have Drew Brees go down, and then just have Taysom Hill run the ball and throw the ball, but mostly run the ball, even though he's a quarterback? Like, why? What was going on with that, Sean Payton? It was a huge Twitter discussion for weeks on end. I mean, when Brees went down midseason with the injury, uh, there were there was a lot of head scratching on how it is that Taysom Hill is going to be named the starter. I mean, look, I remember when what Breeze went down and everybody was clamoring like, "Hey, go get Jameis off the waiver wire!" Like this is going to be Jameis's time. And then a couple days into the week, it was, "Oh, hey, by the way, Taysom Hill's starting." And we're like, "What?" Um, and I think some of that calmed down because he was what he was three and one, I think, as the starter, uh, Taysom Hill, or I should say, the Saints were three and one. 
when Taysom Hill was starting. I don't want the QB wins people to get mad at me and start you know flooding my mentions. Um, and so I think that sort of calmed down some of the, the conversation. Uh, I was also a little bit struck as to why Sean Payton maybe didn't make the move in the playoffs to go to, to Jameis. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe, maybe this was a respect thing. That all, that's all I can think, right? You have a quarterback that you suspect is probably going to be his last game in the league. Um, you know, maybe you let him finish that thing out, even though it was rough against Tampa Bay with, with the interceptions. Uh, maybe, maybe he just wanted to give uh, Breeze the respect of finishing this thing out, regardless of how it plays out. But the one pass that Jameis threw in that game was great. I mean, they ran a trick play. He threw a long touchdown. Uh, you know, it's so it, it does sort of make me wonder why they didn't why they didn't do that. But um, completely agree. He it should have been Winston in the second half against the Bucks. Yeah. The revenge narrative and everything was there first of all, and then also he's just the better throwing quarterback of the two. I mean, especially once you're you're down and you're trying to come back, like why not get the guy who can throw the football more effectively? I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see what they do with the quarterback spot next year and whether that makes it uh, okay. So now what I want to know for both of you, and Kimmy, I'll start with you. Um, it was not a great year for Michael Thomas. He was injured for a big portion of it, didn't really do much when he was on the field. Are you – knowing how you feel about, say, Odell Beckham Jr., who has burned you before, are you willing to let bygones be bygones if Michael Thomas is healthy in 2021? Guys, hot take because I love Michael Thomas and I loved him back in 2019. Huge lofty expectations for him in 2020, but the injuries were there. There was some disciplinary action and just kind of some drama happening with him and the Saints. All of that being said, I think he drops to an early second round pick. I don't think that's a hot take. Crazy? I don't think that's a hot take at all. I don't, no, I, but no, it is because no, it is because I mean, <laughs> in Twitter, I mean, someone's gonna come at me and be like, "You're so dumb. You don't know anything about football." Listen, first of all, I know plenty about football. That's why I have this job. Second of all, <laughs> I don't care. I'll block you, you anyway. You don't have to me. justify yourself here on this show. We no, you don't. <laughs> you guys, remember, 2021. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm positive. I don't respond to trolls. All that good stuff. No, but the thing is, someone's always going to make an argument for why Michael Thomas should be a first-round fantasy wide receiver. I probably would have made that argument if he did have a decent season and even if there was this controversy on who's going to be the quarterback for the Saints in 2021. However, I just don't think it's going to happen. I would look at other guys. Look at Devontae Adams. Look at Tyree Kill. Look at Stephon Diggs. There are so many other wide receivers who have these guaranteed connections with the quarterbacks already existing on their team that I think you can make way better of a case for those guys above someone like Michael Thomas. So I do think he's definitely going to drop in the second round. Because if we're having this conversation about about Alvin Kamara, who was still a top fantasy running back, even with Taysom Hill this season, that means we would still have the same conversation uh, in regards to Michael Thomas. I mean, you feeling the same way, Florio? Yeah, I don't think he's a first-round pick this year. I I don't know if he's a top-five wide receiver this year because it, it all depends on who the quarterback is. Is it If it's Taysom Hill... He will not be in my top five. If it is Breeze or Winston or Stafford or one of those guys, maybe. But borderline, because I agree with the names that Kimmy said. Like Devontae Adams, I think is no questions asked the wide receiver one going into next year. Then I'd rather have Stephon Diggs, like Kimmy said. Uh, who There was another one. Um, Tyreek Hill. Yes, Tyreek Hill is my wide receiver too. I would even put 
DeAndre Hopkins, because of the connection that he showed with Kyler Murray, who I think is a better quarterback than Michael Thomas will have throwing him the ball. So I think five is probably where I start to consider Thomas and knowing how, at least as of today, and knowing how running back heavy the first round is likely to be. I, I agree with Kimmy. I think he's going to be a second round pick next year. All right. So then I'm going to put you guys both on the spot here. Uh, let's see, Michael Thomas or Justin Jefferson? <laughs> I will, the, the silence <laughs> amazing i love how both of our eyes got big we were like oh i don't know that's a, that's a good one that's if a really good one maybe justin jefferson if it's Taysom hill i'll go justin jefferson if it's breeze or winston i'll, I'll go i'll go michael thomas I like right. that. I like that. I think that's fair. I, okay, no, but you have to be put on the spot. You can't just put us on the spot. Well, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I can. I'm the host. Oh, but, all right, no, I, you can't. But, but in okay. The, I will answer. Okay, no. Uh, I think I Calvin would, Ridley. Calvin Ridley easily over Thomas for me. Uh, I think. I think. But I think I might even go Justin Jefferson over Thomas, regardless of the quarterback. I just. I don't know. Um, I feel like. I feel like this Thomas Breeze connection was sort of a singular thing. It was sort of a special moment in time. Um, and I don't know that the offense or Michael Thomas's role in it looks the same without Drew Brees there. So I, I think mm. either way, I think I might go Justin Jefferson. Um, yeah. What about the guy on your shirt? Uh, Julio? I think I'd probably go – I think I'd, I'd go Michael Thomas over Julio Jones. Because I just really? think – And not by much. Um, you know, I don't think by much at all. But I think, uh, I think Calvin Ridley really has taken over um, in that – as the number one there in Atlanta – and so, uh, yeah, I go Michael Thomas over Julio Jones. Um, yeah. Or Julio- spice today. This is a spicy Tuesday. I like it. Yeah. Um, which, which sort of leads me, because now that we're, we've done our, our these four teams, we have four more that we'll finish up on Thursday's show. Uh, we'll get us all the way to 32. Um, but the last thing, speaking of Michael Thomas, uh, I don't know if, if you guys saw the Twitter feud going on between he and Carlton Davis um, when – Look, after after the Bucks beat the Saints, uh, Carlton Davis, the cornerback for the Buccaneers, went on Twitter and called Michael Thomas slant boy, which obviously got a lot of traction. Um, you know, like, look, and I know it's I know he's not the only one that feels that way. I know there are a lot of DBs, especially in the division, that just sort of feel like that's all he does is run slants. I'm not here to judge. I'm just telling you. Uh, so Carlton Davis called him slant boy. Then on Sunday during the NFC Championship game, Devontae Adams beat Davis on a slant for a touchdown. And uh, Michael Thomas obviously had things to say about that on Twitter uh, and threw a little shade in Davis's way. After the game, though, after Tampa had won, the response came back, and I will read it uh, for you verbatim. At Camp Guard Mike, I bodied you three games in a row, little dude, and cover one goofball. And I'm a dog your little ass again <laughs> next year, so you better work on them routes. Whoo, man. Um, it's a big goofball. Goofball. The goofball. <laughs> no, the little boy is like the most disrespectful part. Yeah. Like that's little, yeah. little dude and goofball, man. Like just just heat. But so now I started to think. Um, so you've got you have the Carlton Davis versus Michael Thomas rivalry on one side. On the other side, uh, you've got Marshawn Lattimore for the Saints, who has shut down Mike Evans. And so that's kind of become a rivalry. So suddenly Saints-Bucks is kind of, of a legit rivalry. And so it made me wonder, for you guys, just we can go all across sports. It doesn't just have to be the NFL. Like, 
what is the best rivalry going right now? Maybe it's a team or a couple of teams. Maybe it's just a couple of individuals. But for your money, what is the best rivalry out there at the moment? Um, there, is there a great rivalry going in sports right now? I don't even know. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, so I was trying to think. Like, I didn't know if like, – I didn't really have one. I didn't know if maybe you guys had one. Like, Steve says he's got a couple. So, like, let's get Steve in here because uh, I'm – because I was really kind of struggling to come up with what's a great rivalry right now. So what, what do you got? So I, I think the definition of what a rivalry has changed a little bit. I think a rivalry is really discussed by folks like us. Uh, maybe it doesn't so much occur on the field per se. I would say the best one in football right now uh, is going to be Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a chicken and the egg situation. Who won those Super Bowls in New England? Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Right now, it looks like it was Brady, but then he goes and throws three interceptions at the end of the game. Maybe it was the rest of the team around him. We need another year to figure it out. Really good discussion for, I would say, the rest of the year. That's my favorite one in the league right now. I feel like if if Brady wins in two weeks, then I feel like a lot of people I, – I feel like this, this rivalry is going to get one-sided. You know, if, <laughs> if Brady goes out and wins a Super Bowl in a couple of weeks and Belichick didn't even make the playoffs, uh, I feel like a lot of people will kind of close that case. But that's an interesting one, I think, to kind of keep an eye on. Um, the other one I have is the Detroit Lions versus the former Detroit Lions players. And you know, <laughs> leave that one there. Sanders, Johnson, Eric Ebron, Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs could keep going. I mean, look, if the Lions have one thing going for them is that y- you guys seem to find a way to make great players retire in their prime, which is really That's hard. Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> what we do. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like rivalry is sort of—they don't exist quite as much anymore. I think um, the Chiefs are going to be a part of the next great one. I don't know who. I was going to say, like, growing up. Growing up as a Chiefs fan, like I'm trying to think, because I had season tickets growing up, so I'd always go to our home games and even go to some away games. And I feel like Chiefs Raiders was always like the most contentious rivalry that we had. And even looking at the only loss that Patrick Mahomes has had in the last, what, 25, 26 games he started was against Derek Carr and the Raiders at home in Kansas City. So maybe that's it. But I mean... I don't know. That's well, a good question. It's interesting I, to see who the next rivalry would be. But I think what Flora was going to say is kind of very much like Tom Brady, but I think Patrick Mahomes is more likable than Tom Brady. Biased probably, but whatever. Now, I think, I'm a big believer that people are going to turn on him. I was going to say, I think it's going to be a thing where everyone's like, I'm tired of hearing about the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Like, give somebody else a shot in the AFC. I don't know. I will say that the Raiders were, I think, everybody's most hated team in the AFC West. I think if you talk to you know, Chiefs fans, Chargers fans, Broncos fans, um, yeah, like they all sort of dislike each other, but they all really hate the Raiders. <laughs> and I, their fans are so intense. Like I remember being a little kid going to, it was like in Joplin, Missouri, like middle of nowhere, Missouri to go to the Chiefs training camps. And every single time that there was an open training camp, Raiders fans would come and just like give us hell. And I remember being like five years old and be like, mommy, daddy, why are they so mean? And it's like, why? Like, what's the point of that? Why would you show up oh, to somebody else's home training camp just to be a meaning it's because historically the raiders have bought into and played up being the villain i mean they they wear black they are pirates they have an eye patch like they really played into this whole thing i mean you had an owner al davis who enjoyed being the villain who enjoyed antagonizing look al davis has sued the nfl you know he sued them so many times it was just kind of his go-to thing and the fans have really played into that and you know it's funny i remember 
uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, uh, you know, in, in the fall of 1994, uh, was a timid 17 year old freshman at USC and the Raiders were still playing at the LA Coliseum at the time. And I thought to myself, Hey man, this is going to be cool. Like I can walk over to the Coliseum. I can go to Raiders game. It's going to be great. And again, being a timid 17 year old freshman, that first Sunday of the NFL season, I remember looking out my dorm window at the Raiders fans who parked on our campus and walked over. And I was like, I am not going over there with those people at all. I don't want any part of that. Um, I mean, the one time I feared for my life watching a game in a bar was during the, I was in a Raiders bar during the tuck rule game. And I thought for sure that some bodily harm was going to come to me uh, because Raider fans are a little bit intense. So they don't mind being the villain. They sort of play into it. Uh, And I think they're, they're the team that everybody in the AFC West loves to hate at this point. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. Wait, so I just I I looked at that Carlton Davis tweet. The best part is that Carlton Davis is not even verified on Twitter. So that's what he's yes. getting roasted for. It's like, how are you roasting Michael Thomas? But you you don't even have a blue check mark. The three of us have blue I check mean, marks. So I guess we're is, more famous than Carlton Davis. Is it is it less well, there's less heat on it because he doesn't have a blue check mark. Like, I don't understand. Well, I, don't, I think, like, I mean, in the five seconds that I just had a look at the tweet in the comments, right. everyone's like, How are you roasting one of the best players in the NFL? You ain't even verified. I mean, you know, typical trash talk. My my biggest thing is like, he's lying a little bit because I, I pulled up what Michael Thomas has done against the Bucks in his career. And my God, does Michael Thomas own the Tampa Bay <laughs> like, This year in two games, yeah, just 68 yards. He averaged seven and a half fantasy points per game. But he had three touchdowns and, and 150 yards per game last year against them. He averaged over 33 fantasy points. Two years ago, it was over 29 fantasy points per game. Like, he's had a ton of success against this team. Uh, and – I think one of the best rivalries in sports, Marcus, might be like how every defensive back just dislikes Michael Thomas. You know, it's either that. That's a good one. Uh, The other one that I just thought of is how apparently a lot of people in the league seem to hate C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Yeah, why is he always getting hit? He has been punched by opponents and teammates. So apparently this dude uh, likes to get under people's skin. That's all I know. It was Michael Thomas who punched him, right? Michael Thomas punched him. Uh, he also got punched by multiple opponents. So, like, you know, look, at some point when you keep getting punched, maybe you have to look in the mirror and figure out, you know, maybe you're the one that's doing something wrong. I don't know. That's I do true. think Michael Thomas still needs to loosen up a little bit. I don't know if you guys see all his tweets. He is he's just he's always a- waiting for someone to, like, stab him in the back or something. He's very salty. He's a little bit <laughs> Which, you know, look, you live in a city like New Orleans. How can you be salty? It's a great town, man. Right. Like, so go get your beignets and get your gumbo. Beignets, just, right, <laughs> just, just chill out and relax. So, uh, Which feels like a good spot for us to kind of chill out and relax as well. So there you go. That is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. Kimmy, thanks for stopping by. I'm sure we'll thanks talk. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Anyway, for the rest of you, you know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, do Transformers get car insurance or life insurance? Be safe. Take care yourselves wear a mask and we'll see you on thursday You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 